Uh, so I'm Brendan, and I'm part of the duo on this, uh, this little podcast series here, and just think we might bring an interesting perspective to, to things in sort of the tech world. So just a little background on me. Um, I feel like I'm coming at this as the, the old man in the room, even though I'm only going to be 37 this year, but I think I, I come from a unique perspective because I really was part of that last generational cohort that grew up um, really kind of preschool up through up through high school and into the early days of college where technology wasn't pervasive in life, right? So I didn't have Facebook and I didn't have all of that stuff that was kind of haunting me on the social sphere from uh, from day one. Really grew up with Oregon Trail, if anybody remembers that. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so I and I've been a technologist my my entire life. So I've kind of kind of grew up with this new modern world that we live in and feel like I can hopefully sort of bridge the divide and give some interesting perspective between how things were back in the analog days to uh, to how they are now. So that's me. Hope you guys enjoy. I'm going to let my co-host here say his, say his piece. Hey everyone, this is Matt. Um, so I think Brendan, you might have been on the Oregon Trail, you know, pioneer stage. I'd say I was playing that in fourth grade. Ooh, very, very, very much enjoy the game and not to date yourself, but I'd say, um, I, you know, I have a background in computer science, been working in energy and yep. a little bit of venture capital of late. Um, and I'm taking the angle of, you know, I've always had technology in my yep. life, uh, whether it's been the upswing of video games when I was very young. Um, I think being someone who went to high school, uh, in the years through, you know, 2006 to 2010, that's like the birth of social media. Um, and so the angle, you know, I'm taking, I think what also just brings like a great, you know, collaboration between the two, you know, we're always kind of pulling, pushing on different technologies. We talk about maybe I'm taking more of a, this is crazy. This is really cool. This is unique. The kids are going to love it where you might be saying, my kids are going to love it. Is that what you're telling me? That, that sounds absolutely insane. Um, and I think that's that's just really cool that we can uh, collaborate on those those sort of ideas and, and talk about uh, technologies through those lenses. Um, so I think today, you know, first show, I want to start with something that's pretty relevant in the media right now, which is all the news surrounding Huawei. Um, I think we've had this conversation before of, you know, is it, is the U.S. stifling innovation at home and maybe abroad by blocking the Chinese tech giant? Um, you know, my quick answer would be yes it, it, for, for some services, maybe some products, but it's really hard to tell because we don't have it. And I think the said could be the same could be said in China. They might not know how good some of the U.S. tech is since they don't have um, the ability to adopt it. Yeah. So Huawei is a spy company, and they're coming to take over <laughs> our lives, and the end is nigh. Yeah, I like. So I don't want to get too political on this whole thing, but the reality is that we're we're looking at Huawei as this big monolithic kind of quasi-governmental Chinese agency, um, and I, I think that's a wrong way of approaching it. Mm-hmm. So let's at least cut it into two major segments that are part of the conversation right now. One of those being the telecom industry and kind of the five G stuff, and the other one being the personal devices side of things, right? So I had a Nexus 6P, was made by Huawei. It was a great phone. Yeah, I remember that. I loved it until I broke the back on it. Not so <laughs> not so great. But it was it was a really 
good device and everything that I've seen coming out with like the mate 20 pro and all those just amazing devices, really, really cool devices. So I think there's an argument to be made to say, if we're going to have a country that's going to be built really on a 21st century economy where we're doing innovation, right? So we're, we're trying to stay at the cutting edge. We can't be so myopic as to say yeah. the cutting edge only happens in the U S because yeah. that's crazy. Like, sure. We've got Silicon Valley. We've got a lot of smart people here, but we're only what? 360, 370 million people. Like, there's seven, eight billion in the rest <laughs> of the world. There's a lot of ideas out there. So I think it goes just beyond Huawei and more to to the mentality of the US of it just because it's here doesn't mean this is the be all and end all. Now, I gotta flip that coin over and say, are there concerns that we need to have around the 5G telecom gear that, that's coming out? And Huawei is massive. I mean, they're just pervasive yeah, across right. the globe on that. Yep. Yeah, I think I think there probably are some concerns there. I don't have them all fully worked out. Do I do I think from a technologist standpoint that, you know, the Chinese government can turn around and say, hit the hit the big red button kill switch? No. I mean these these devices go through a whole bunch of vetting by by third parties. So I'd I'd be surprised to see that. But um but I I do think when it comes to critical infrastructure, we probably need to be a lot more careful about what we're doing there. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Um, there's certainly an aspect of, is is Huawei um, the Google for China, right? I think that argument's been made as well. Um, as a consumer of all Google services, like many of us yeah. are, sort of like pigeonholed to the Chrome browser, um, to mail, and all of that stuff working very nicely and seamlessly, I think that the same, maybe it's not quite that way in China, mm. um, but I can see that sort of, you know, take that Huawei is this humongous company mm-hmm. in many different sectors. They have a way about them that says, we work with the government. They actually back us, you know, I think even financially t- to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. And we have no problem working with them when they come and ask for data. I think Google's no different in the US when you, you know, the FBI knocks on the door and says, we need data on, you know, these targets we have for terrorist threats. Yeah. I don't think they're always, you know, saying, screw, screw off FBI, right? Yeah. Um, there is a fundamental, you know, like human privacy, data privacy, you know, thing to protect there. Um, but it's it's really it's I, I see the two competing um, in ways most people don't talk about, I'd say. And, and on the 5G thing, really interesting. Um, I, I'm personally not sold that there really is that like spy chip in every device, whether it's your no. phone, whether it's the telecom infrastructure, whatever it may be. I mean, you had, you know, an XSP that had Huawei hardware in it. And at the time, I don't remember hearing a thing from the U.S. government, from the FCC on there was a problem with this hardware no, being man, sold no. to U.S. consumers. And Google, of all people, who's been trying to penetrate China, just couldn't find their way in for a very long time. I think they stopped. They restarted again. They, yeah. they were shut down. Finally came to some agreement of, well, we can use hardware. We can start build a new relationship with China in a way that leverages how good their hardware is. And there wasn't an issue a few years ago with that. Now, no. now it seems like there's a complete ban on 
anything Huawei's touched. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. And I think it, it goes back to it being almost purely political at this point. Yeah. Um, I don't want to turn this into a politics podcast at the end of right, the day right. here, but but yeah, no, I think this has got a whole lot more to do with kind of the Trump administration and what we're looking at as far as trying to get, you know, competitive advantage against the Chinese. And and don't get me wrong, the Chinese for eons now have been using let's say abusive trade practices, mm-hmm. um, devaluing their own currency and whatnot, and that's not been not been great for us. So I don't I don't disagree necessarily f- with some of the politics around it, but I think from from a technology purist standpoint, we're not getting the best that we can have, um, and I think it it does go to stifling innovation. I will say the last two CES conferences I attended, yeah. uh, the Mate mobile devices were present. This past year, or I'll say it, it was actually just a few months ago, the Mate Pro 20, really amazing phone. Yeah, um, I've actually brought up the specs right here. It, I'll, I'll first say very, very lightweight. Yep. Really felt like an iPhone in many ways. And I think that's what we're seeing across a lot of different um, mobile plays, kind of copying each other here and there. Oh, this, this uh, whether barely, it's the notch, right, right the front-facing camera. Um, but the Mate Pro... The Mate 20 Pro on paper, I mean, 40 megapixel camera, 24 megapixel front camera. Yeah. Let's start right there. Yeah, right? No, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. we just can't get that in the U.S. yet. Yep. Um, maybe Google's AI in the Pixel is good enough to, to make up for that. But I think that goes to show that you can, you know, people in Europe are really enjoying, you know, the Mate Pro that they have. And when I saw the one of the Huawei executives present CES two years ago, it was right at the time where the FCC had told AT&T and Verizon, do not let Huawei phones be allowed on your network It was, it was in the like US. the same day, and wasn't it? Was it was pretty much the day before the same day. Yeah, the he timing, had the keynote that, timing I was, it was that day, yeah. A Jeep yeah. did not show up to the event that, <laughs> my, my favorite that, human. that week, right? Yeah. And regardless of the timing, the, the message there was, hey, all you U.S. consumers in the audience and all you media people writing about my speech today, guess what? You're the ones losing out. Right. It's not my company. We're selling these devices like hotcakes in China, in Europe, really all over the world. Just because the U.S. said no isn't going to stop us from being successful, having this as a major revenue generator. I mean, you're, you're really the ones losing out. And yeah, I, I, but are we really the ones losing out there? I, I mean, would, I, I would just honest, say that honestly, I, like, was, I would say the options would be nice. I, I really do feel like as a as someone who enjoys the flagship devices that come out every year, yeah. um, I might not buy one every year, but I like to at least play with them. I would say I'm, I'm really stuck with like two, maybe three options that really meet that high standard, you know, that, that high benchmark every year. I think the Mate 20 Pro this year, like undoubtedly makes the top three or four. But there's, but there's no way for me to know because I can't use it as a daily driver. Yeah, But, no, I, but when you look at the numbers, I think it tells a different story. All right, so I'm now going to take this back to first principles here. Sure. So we've really got we, – we started with the Huawei conversation. You're saying you know the specs on the Mate 20, amazing, which I totally agree with. When it really comes down to it, 
how big of a difference are you getting out of, say, the Mate 20 versus the Pixel 3? Performance-wise, like yeah. really, how how big of a difference is right. there? There, and I'm going to argue owning both the iPhone XS and the Pixel Three. There's not a major difference performance-wise. The Pixel Three mm-hmm. is an absolutely kick-ass phone, even though it's only got like four gig of RAM, yeah. which I think is anemic and kind of <laughs> ridiculous by right. today's standards. Amazing, <laughs> but but the thing's incredible. So. Are we missing out by not having another flagship player in the Android space? I don't know. Maybe we are. Galaxy. I think Samsung's done a great job there. More affordable. Those options need to be there. More affordable. I don't know. They're more more affordable. Than the Pixel? Galaxy came in at 999 990 this year. Like the, the old S4s were maybe a little more family-friendly. Family well, that's back in the day. But yeah. We've, uh, yeah, they've quickly become... A higher, yeah, every, uh, everybody's everybody's right that thousand dollar kind of yeah. kind of orbit right now. So yeah. I'm not even sure price is a differentiator at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing, like Samsung has an ecosystem that they're trying to build out. So they've got all their app bundles on there. They really were the first competitor in the U.S. market anyway to to Apple. So they've got they've built up that inertia. Yeah. Um, I think Google brings not just the brand name, but they bring an experience on that phone that is entirely different. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. Um, but I, I'm I'm starting to feel that this is a three horse race at the end of the day between Apple, Samsung, and and Google. And I don't I don't know that we're missing a whole lot by not having the Mate Twenty. Okay. Or the Huawei. At least, at least the Huawei phones in this country. Now, sure. if you're talking about like the MateBook, right? That thing's ridiculous. Yeah, it's awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and the fact that we don't have a real good competitor to the MacBook Pro or the MacBook mm-hmm. in something that isn't running Mac OS is kind of a shame. And that MateBook is it does it all day long. Yeah, all day long. So, yeah, I, I don't know it. it I'm curious just how much value and how much market share they could get by being here in the first place. Um, but to say that we're losing out and they're not, I think is also a bit of a problem because the U S market is still one of, if not the most affluent in, in the world right now. So it's a big, it's a big deal to get that. I, for them. I think that's, that's a good point. And maybe we'll shift the conversation from hardware you know, to, to software. Yeah. I think that's also just where a lot of the innovation is happening. Yeah, so reg- you know, regardless of like what the hardware is, I think me as a, as an iPhone user, the reason I switched from Android back to an iPhone maybe three or four years ago was I felt like I was missing these great updates that were coming to these apps. You know, one, I was missing the apps themselves mm. saying, I can't get this app that just came out on Android yeah. and Android wasn't as popular yet, but you know, I knew I was getting the worst version of Snapchat, for instance. It wasn't using the, the camera natively. Um, the AR wasn't as good through the Android app. I get the iPhone. I'm in the Snapchat beta. It's a whole new world. Mm. And I love it. And I think there's still a lot to be explored in the U.S.-China relation between, like, social media and apps built on that hardware. I don't know if I want to see things, I guess, get torn apart in a, in a way, um, and I'm not sure they will, but 
there's certainly apps that are very comparable to, you know, a, like a U.S. Snapchat. There's certainly a, a very equivalent app in China that we might not be privy to, but has 200 million users, is using very, very similar technology. Mm. And I think you look at something like TikTok, and maybe we do a different episode on this one, yeah. but TikTok is something that started in China, com- completely funded by a Chinese venture capital firm, if I'm not wrong, to start. Yep. Hockey stick like growth right out of the gate. I mean, you know, 100, 200 million, I'd say in the first six months, mm-hmm. spilling over to the US incredibly quickly. Mm-hmm. Very popular with teenagers, high schoolers, some college students, even your, you know, your your comedians who usually, you know, puts put out some pretty good posts. That's an app that is just basically combined like everything that's great from Snapchat, everything that was great from Vine and said, go create. Everyone is a filmmaker in a way. Yeah. And you can add all these effects and do all these crazy. We've given you a toolkit of, of different AR uh, things to play with. That's something I, I think is really important for like the relationship of, of U.S. China moving forward of, you know, both of our youth are using the same app in a very similar way Mm -hmm. even though the culture might be very different even though the phones we have might be different there's all these different internet restrictions we're actually kind of doing the same thing spending a lot of time in the same services yeah yeah no i I totally agree i totally agree i I think if you bump that up a level on sort of the the abstraction layer it's it's the ai race right all over again Mm -hmm. so like yes we're doing competing types of services wouldn't it be great if there was some type of knowledge share that that could exist there to accelerate the innovation cycles understanding that market competition is the thing that is going to drive that like it's yeah. it's competitive innovation at the end of the day it's not just innovation for innovation's sake right um and that's good because free market economy competitive tension things move faster mm-hmm. but it in in that sort of more open system you get sharing of knowledge around best practices, what to avoid, what's dangerous, all of that kind of stuff. Now, and we're just talking a little stupid, like video recording app, like, like TikTok. Yeah. You start talking about that with AI and the drive towards AGI. And I'm like apoplectically terrified that we're not talking to each other about what that means because that's one of those things where you let the genie out of the bottle and you're not you're not putting it back in Mm -hmm. um so i i I really wish there was a more mature global conversation going on around that and I'm, i'm still not seeing it maybe let's dig into that a little bit ai i heard a really good quote the other day that the race of ai is more like Olympics than it is a single race. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to frame it. AI is a lot of different technologies. It's not just one. Sure. Um, and I think each country will kind of carve out certain specialties within AI that they're really good at. They're not going to be able to do it all. I'd say US and China are leading on all fronts right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they both do natural language processing very well. They both do machine learning very well. Mm-hmm. You can go down the list. I think you're right, though. There isn't that conversation of, great, we're doing all this, and we're doing it in a competing way. Um, what happens when these things get close, really close to each other? Yeah. In a way, say, it's actually driving behavior of people rather than us driving 
what we're getting out of the app, right? You know, our, our inputs are influenced by everything we're reading, we're seeing, yep. how curated it is, because it's so damn good at predicting what we're going to think next. Um, we feel like we might have less control, but, but we, don't, we don't see it coming. I, I think we're in this trap now. Yeah. And I, I'll admit, I'm probably the first one to say, I, I, I can spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes on Twitter just going through my timeline, seeing new updates from people, searching mm-hmm. hashtags, looking at news. All of that, though, is curated in a way that Twitter wants me to see. Yeah, but it's so, not, so it doesn't feel as organic as – like I, I can follow certain people, but the other tweets I'm seeing yeah. are not – you know, those are people, those are recommended tweets from, from other people I follow. To- right? Totally, yeah. totally agree. And there's that trap that sort of exists for, for all of us nowadays. And what's interesting about your take on it right now is you're very much going with the very narrow AI examples and almost, almost algorithmic examples at the end of the day there, yeah. right? In, in the classical sense of the word. What I'm talking about as far as where I'm scared that we're trying to go and that we're not talking about it more is less the narrow and more this push towards general. Okay. And when you start getting to the talk of general AI and recursive learning abilities that general AI can have, we, we get into scary future state of, oh, humans are a lesser species than whatever this thing we just gave birth to is, right? Yeah. Um, I know it's it can sound sci-fi Terminator-y, but I really don't think we're that far away, especially given the way that the advancements, I mean, have been ridiculous over the past few years, um, still in the narrow space. But we're, we're getting closer and closer to that general type of human level intelligence when we get there. And if we're not very, very careful about crafting the rules around that and sharing kind of the knowledge mm-hmm. of what the pitfalls are. That that can be that can be bad. I mean, that's that's it. Once whoever hits AGI first, game over. So yeah, like you've you've won. Um, I, I would prefer that we do that as a global society with some sense about us, as opposed to some racing research. there. As, yeah, as opposed to some kid yeah, who's right. like a researcher in a Stanford <laughs> basement somewhere going, "Oh, look what I did." Um, that's not good, right? Yeah. But that's very real. That's very real. I think the human element is the most important part there, and it's sort of understated in how we make decisions today, totally, how we use it. Totally. I, I think that's that's a thing where I think as a country we're getting very good. Well, we're just I'd say a technology, you know, as an industry as a whole, yeah, getting very good at you know writing algorithms to I guess just feed, feed the right information that we need to make the, to make the decision. Um, that's you know most important there. It's it's really a tool, and it's it's not the answer, right? I, I think yeah. that's that's a really hard thing for people to see, probably when they're in the weeds, um, or for people who aren't using AI today, saying, I, you know, I don't really get it. You know, I, all that computer stuff, it's it's not for me. But meanwhile, there's a lot of data that a lot of companies have on them, and they're using AI against them in in ways that they're just they're not privy to. Yeah, and but- that's really and that's. It, for me, really terrifying. As it, well, well, it's it's yeah. scary, but it's it's the problem of two things. So it's commoditization, and it's the uninformed user, right? Mm. And we we've hit the inflection point on both of those things in I'd say the past two years, when we really get to the point where voice assistants 
sort of took off, right? Yeah. So, you know, Amazon got out there with Alexa. Great, wonderful. I'm not a fan of Amazon. Sorry, I'm just going to put that <laughs> one out there. Um, Google comes in with Assistant. You know, Siri is just the wayward stepchild that I am afraid. Oh, may. it's so sad. Don't I don't want to talk about it. It <laughs> it's just so it sad. hurts my heart every day. Be better, please. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that with Apple's hire of, of John John Andrea, the former Google kind of AI head, that they might get somewhere. Yeah. But I'm I'm just not sure their business model allows for it. But you know, back back to the original point. You know, you're talking about how oh people are sitting there saying it's not for me, it's not for me. Well. Bullshit is not for you. You're using it now, like every single day. Yeah. Whether it's the phone in your pocket with an assistant there, whether it's a smart speaker at your house, whether it's just using, you know, Facebook or Twitter and whatever they're doing on the back end with social graph and with, with what Twitter is doing as far as as far as some of their algorithmic curating. Like it's there and you may not know it's there, but it is controlling your it, there's a term called an umwelt. And it's uh, it's an originally a German term, which is meant to to kind of give the idea of the things that you can see, right? So it's the experience of being a thing, um, you know, the umwelt of a bat. What it is to be a bat, what a bat experience is, yeah. is not the same thing as the umwelt of a human. But if you were given all the sensory apparatus of a bat, that that would be what you'd live in, mm -hmm. and your perception of the world that we're in right now would be that of a bat. It's it's what's happening with us right now. Like the the we haven't broadened the visors, extended the umwelt to understand on a societal level what's being done to us with technology, as opposed to being a ownership participant in what we're doing with it. It's yeah. it's it's being used by the tool as opposed to using the tool. Right. And I, I think we're very much there. And I don't know how to how to really forward that gap of technical literacy for the, the larger society as a whole so that we can start having more real conversations around this. Um, I, I suspect that part of it is generational. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I have a bunch of millennials working for me, and I'm pretty convinced that they don't get it either. Um, there, there's, there's just an... There's either a level of skepticism that borders on like religious witchcraft, dark magic, ah, <laughs> runaway stuff, or there's a level of acceptance, which is just like, eh, it's here, it's always been here, it's great. Um, it works. Why, it, yeah. Why do I have a problem with it? Why, it why do I have great, a problem? Right? Why should I even question it? Yeah. Is the other thing. It makes my life so easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like, right? it, it reminds me of there was a line. Um, Dan Carlin does his hardcore history podcast. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't listened to it, go and listen to all of them now. It's incredible. But it was a it was one he had done on the discussion of the world post the invention of the atomic bomb, right? And the line from that that sticks with me, and I, I use this when looking at a lot of things nowadays, is if you were born with a gun to your head and that's the way you lived your entire life, would you ever even realize that a loaded gun was pointed at your head? And I think that's where we are right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure how to get there, <laughs> but like, I think we need to really work. To, to kind of broaden the lens and see see what that means 
for all facets of society and for the for the for the up and coming areas in the rest of the globe. Um, I think the the up and coming areas is really it's really interesting, right? If you know, I, I was born, I'd say you know, not into AI quite like yeah, yeah. some of the younger people are today, but certainly born into like social media as something to obsess over as a high schooler. And I can say my parents would, would probably say, you know, spend too much time on his phone, like every other high schooler. Um, there's this world of apps to explore, this world of, of different games and just stuff that we never thought was possible before the iPhone came out. Yeah. But today, I agree it's much more scarier since there's sort of that, uh, for back, I guess, like lack of a better term, um, like I have Sauron watching you from the day, you know, you're born. And I've, I've read, you know, but I've read a blog post recently of, of a couple who is saying, you know, Amazon, Facebook, Google, they were finding ways to track my unborn child. Unborn. Unborn child. Cool. Offering, like Amazon, get you're getting these, these ads and these emails saying, do you need to buy a crib? Oh, yeah. No, need, I got right? those. Do you yeah. need to buy yeah. bottles? Well, you know what happened? Unfortunately, there was a miscarriage. Uh, so, so, so what happens God. there, right? Like, like where, so I think that's where there's like also this topic of ethics that we're, we're driving yeah. towards where we're not really seeing like an international conversation or companies coming together, driving the right conversation on what those boundaries are. Mm. But I think that's a jarring example yeah, to, of, of where but, the line is too, too far sometimes, just because the user, like you were saying before, might not really have as much control as they thought. And so at first, mm. you're, you're getting peppered with all these different advertisements and these different offers. And, you know, I'd say better for worse, like most people are going to say that this is actually really helpful. Um, I don't know what the right type of diaper to get yet, you know, is. I, I don't know. Um, I'm not in a routine with a newborn yet. All right. So I'm, I'm, so, I'm going to take that example, yeah. which I think is a great one. And I'm going to try to tie this whole thing together in a boat. I may fail, but stick with yeah, me. No. So, Go for you it. know, we started the conversation around Huawei, U.S.-China relations, all of that stuff. And, and my general sort of ethos there was more sharing is better, right? Um, for, for all of those reasons. We kind of went full circle on a whole bunch of stuff, but you know, you, t you take it down to that example you just said of th that m horrifyingly unfortunate um, circumstance of the miscarriage, and Amazon still then, you know, putting out ads for things that are baby related, and the the immediate gut reaction is, God, how could you be so heartless? It's not heartless at all. They're working off of the data sets that they have access yeah. to. This is this is not an issue of ethics. This is an issue of information exchange at the end of the day there. Because I guarantee you, if there was some sort of load between the EHR systems that said, hey, by the way, this, this individual just had a miscarriage, mm -hmm. and... Amazon's algorithms as far as what they're going to target, like, you have to assume, as long as these are built the right way, right. but with all the <clears> data sets in place, you're not going to see that kind of horrifying ethical lapse that comes out of it. But this is a data silo issue where we don't have a free flow of information going on. As much as the internet's been great and it's enabled all these global conversations and all that stuff, 
we we still have data silos everywhere, mm-hmm. for good or ill. Um, I, I tend to be of the opinion that over time we're going to get much less concerned about the whole we need to keep everything in a locked box because it's got magical privacy properties. It just won't be useful just, if it stay, stays uh, that no, way. No, it won't be. Yeah. It won't be. Um, so that that's another part of this question is what do we do about making sure we've got safe exchange of data so that we've got a full full view mm-hmm. of what's going on in a in a hyper local to an individual sense but then you know on the macro across the global scale like how do how do we ensure we get vetted shared actionable useful data that completes the picture as opposed to all these little like tribal silos that we're finding ourselves in right now um, I mean, I, I think if we can fix that, if we can crack that kind of nut there, yeah. we're talking about a different world. We're talking about a world that's got a lot more broadness, a lot more understanding, and a lot more capacity for a pretty interesting future. And it's kind of the, goes along with the saying, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Like looking at just how popular social media is today and how people are using it. You know, you're following people who share the same interests as you, um, who may be experts in things you're not, but they're areas you want to learn more about. Um, maybe you're following the journalists rather than the print company itself, because you just get a lot more like actionable insight from that. Yep. But it doesn't broaden that view, and that data is data you have chosen to see. And you're usually, you're also not moving towards, you're not seeking out the opposite opinions of those people. And I think that's also just, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily dangerous. We're always going to like what we like, and that's what's going to bring us joy. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to things like AI, we, I don't think enough people are following those shouting from the rooftop saying, guys, we have to be careful here. No, no, no. There I think- is a real like, like, you know, data issue here that we're not talking about. And companies have a responsibility to, you know, Feed us that data in a way that is is not too pervasive. Um, I don't think I follow enough of those people. I don't. I don't think you do either. No. And we're talking about it yeah. now, recognizing it's a problem. Imagine the hundreds of millions of other people who really aren't concerned with AI at all. They don't maybe even know how how it works um, to to that big of a degree. That's really terrifying. It it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's been a good talk. It has. Thank you. All right. Trials and tribulations in technology. The three T's. Interesting. Might be a podcast name. <laughs> Who knows? We'll work on it. We'll work on it. Great. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank We've you. We've got a lot more to go, and we'll do it, uh, do it next time. We will. Thanks for listening, everybody.